had an interesting thought during worship. Buddha died of food poisoning and stayed in the grave. Muhammad died of food poisoning and stayed in the grave. Jesus tasted death, fully digested it, overcame it, and rose from the dead. So if you're here today and you're trying to choose between some of the world major, major world religions, I'd encourage you to think that there's only one who got up, okay? So, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm going to read from you from the Passion Translation, the book of John, chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 17. <clears throat> Jesus carried his own cross out of the city to the place called the Skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And there they nailed him to the cross. He was crucified along with two others, one on each side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate had them post a sign over the cross, which is written in three languages. Aramaic, which is what the uh, Jews would have spoken. Latin, which is what the Alexandrian Jews from Egypt would have spoken. And Greek, which is what the um, Romans would have spoken. Many of the people of Jerusalem read the sign, for he was crucified near the city. The sign stated, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, you must change this sign. Don't let it say king of the Jews, but rather, quote, he claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate responded, what I have written will remain. Now when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes into four shares, one for each of them, but his tunic was seamless, woven from the top to the bottom as a single garment. The soldiers said to each other, don't tear it, let's throw dice for it to see who gets it. The soldiers did this not knowing they fulfilled scripture that says, they divided my garments among them and threw dice for my clothing. Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing next to the cross along with Mary's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys at the cross. When Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. Then he said to John, Look, she will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. Verse, 9, verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished, and to fulfill all scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby, so they soaked a sponge with it and put a stalk of hyssop on it and raised it to his lips. When he sipped the sour wine, he said, It is finished, my bride. And then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. It's interesting, uh, um, the Passion Translation translates it, It is finished, my bride. So Jesus spoke Aramaic, the Jews would have spoke Aramaic, and so a lot of times there's some richness in looking what the Aramaic language would have been behind the Greek text of the New Testament. And so if you are, spend any time around Brian Simmons, he's big on homonyms, okay? So homonyms are, you probably haven't used the word homonym in the last week unless you're like an English teacher. A homonym is a word that sounds the same but has a different meaning. And so like the word can, you know, kicked them in the can, drank out of a can. Yes, you can, right? It's like the same sounding word but different meanings. And so the word um, here is kala, and it can be translated as finished or completed, but it can also be translated as bride. And so the Passion translates it and uses both concepts. It is finished, my bride. I want you to just kind of catch that shift there, that Jesus' last words on the cross were about his bride. One of the most mystical and I think thrilling things the Bible paints is this picture of us somehow, Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church somehow coming together in union with him as the bride the wife of the lamb. Listen to Revelation 21, verses 9 through 11. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. So I want you to notice, John is invited to see the wife of the lamb. He says, come. And if we are going to have this revelation of us as the bride, it's going to take the Holy Spirit taking us up to a high place to see, so we can see clearly, like he just said, the Holy Spirit took John up to a mountain. We need the Holy Spirit to take us up to show us reality for how it really is if we're going to get this bride thing. So I'm going to try to paint some pictures today, but we need the Holy Spirit to breathe on you because this is one of the most exciting things in Scripture that I've ever come across here. This morning, I want us to be led by the Holy Spirit to see who we really are, the bride of the Lamb. It's interesting that the very last topic of the Bible deals with this new Jerusalem, which he says is the bride. Here's the picture. Is, um, coming out of heaven is going to be this city, and God is going to inhabit the city, and that's going to be his bride. There's lots of different word pictures, but you and I are the new Jerusalem. We are this city, and God is going to inhabit the city. It says we won't even need any light because God himself will be the light. God is so everywhere all the time in this new city, and you and I are going to be that new city. And he said this new city is the bride. It's interesting. The last topic of the Bible is the bride. Do you remember what the first topic of the Bible was as soon as um, creation was taken care of? It was about a man finding a bride. The very first thing is you have a man finding a bride, and the very last thing in the Bible is you have the lamb finding a bride, and they live happily ever after. That's the bookends of the Bible, is a bride. And it's interesting, so when we go back to Genesis, I want to spend a little bit of time there, but we're going to get a little, a little peek at what it means for a man and a woman to become one, because it's a picture of what Jesus wants to have happen with us. Remember, today, I want the Holy Spirit to engrave in your heart who you really are. This isn't just some theological truth. This is, this is romance. This is the romance of heaven. The way the Bible starts out is the way that it finishes. So in the beginning, God creates the heavens, the earth, the animals, the birds, the fish, and then he takes some dirt and basically coughs on it, breathes on it, and it becomes a man. And so this man goes around, and he begins naming the animals. So there's no one greater than Adam on the earth. He was kind of Lord over all creation under the Lord of creation. So Adam is the greatest on the earth, and as he goes and he begins to investigate the animals, and as he investigates them, he names them. Whatever you name, you have authority over you own. And so Adam is the owner of creation. He has authority over all creation. He begins to name these animals. And as he does it, he notices that as he looks in the eyes of, this, of these animals, they're not like him. They're similar to him in a lot of different ways, but he can't have fellowship with an animal. So um, a little while ago, my family and I went to the zoo, and they weren't the gorillas. What, I can't remember what they were. They're the ones with like the rainbow faces, and it looks like their bottoms are turned inside out. You know, it's like, oh, those are so cute. And they turn around and you're like, oh, my goodness, what's going on down there? It's like, what happened? It was those animals. And so I'm just going to call them gorillas, even though they're probably not gorillas. Baboons? All right, we'll call them baboons. And so it was interesting. So, you know, we got the little glass in between us. And so there's this one that was sitting there trying to eat. And this other, there were like two babies. And the other baby kept coming over and hitting it and running away. He came over hitting it and running away and was trying to take his food. And they began to chase and wrestle. And then like the giant baboon stood up and started walking towards them and they instantly scattered and behaved themselves. I'm like, I've seen this play out a hundred times in our own household. And so then, the, so then the baboon turns its back and the kids begin fighting again. They begin, like, they begin tapping each other, hitting each other, trying to steal the food, wrestling. And the uh, big baboon comes up and picks the one and throws it across the thing. Uh, that's never happened in our household. 
And so we look, and it's like, you know, we can see some similarities in there, but if you were to look in the eyes of the baboon, you would not see someone like yourself. You cannot have fellowship with that, with that kind of being. So Adam, I mean, I'm sure the parrots heard him talking to God, and they began to mimic what he was doing, but he couldn't have fellowship with the parrot. I'm sure the dogs began to follow him around and enjoyed all of that stuff. And um, I know your dog is different, that you can actually have fellowship with your I understand that. But just get the theological point. You can't really have fellowship. Your dog cannot share his heart with you or her heart. I, I know. I'm, I'm, you know. I'm losing some people here. <laughs> Don't send me emails on this one. But it's the truth. Your dog is literally sitting there thinking, I wonder if they're going to scratch my belly. I wonder if they're going to give me a treat. Okay, that, that's what your dog is thinking. I see all these heads shaking. No, okay. That's not the, we're talking about the bride, okay? This is not the main point. I hope I haven't lost everybody here. But here's Adam, and so God says this. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. He wasn't alone. He had all the different animals, but he had no one like him that he could commune with, that he could have true fellowship with, that he could really relate to. Okay, remember, what we're going to see in Adam and Eve is going to be a picture of us. So I want you just to begin to draw the parallels. I'll draw them for you, but feel free to go ahead and fill in the blanks so you can see where I'm going here. Adam was different than um, any other kind of animal. And so, but Adam was actually also different than any other kind of human. It says when he made Adam, he made him male and female. So there's never been another human being like Adam because he was plural. He had all of the maleness and all of the femaleness on the inside of him at the same time. Then God does the first surgery. He causes Adam to fall asleep, and he took Eve out of Adam. The one became two, and then the two are going to become one. Okay, so I'm a little jealous here because um, when God made man, he took a bunch of dirt and basically blew on it, right? But when he takes Eve, he fashions her out of this rib. It says he fashions. He can't. I'm a little bit jealous. I feel like the women got a little bit more attention than us here, but it probably, probably explains some things here. Genesis 2, verses 21 and 22. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. So he ripped out the rib, sealed it back up. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, fashioned her from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. God caused Adam to fall asleep. This is why men do not understand women, is because we were asleep while she was created. <laughs> like we have no idea how this whole thing happened. All right? All right there's only two times in a, a man's life when he doesn't understand a woman, right? Before marriage... And after marriage. Other than that, yeah. So for those of you who are saying, I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body, um, that already got taken out of you back in the garden. That's not true. You're believing a lie. Again, not my point. But there's some truth there. She was taken out from him and was completely distinct from him, and yet she was completely a part of him somehow. She was actually Adam in another form. It's interesting. So it's like uh, Adam wakes up, and when he looks up, and uh, God instantly has this marriage ceremony happen. And, uh, you know, he sees her, and he goes, whoa, man. And he called her woman, woman. No, that's actually not how it happened. It's actually pretty close, though. So the Hebrew word for man is ish. And he sees her and he goes, Isha. That's the Hebrew word for woman is Isha. And so it's kind of like, whoa, man. I mean, it really is almost like that. He sees her and he's saying, I'm seeing someone who's just like me, but she's not me. 
even though she's a part of me. Okay, that's, that's kind of the idea there. You look like me, but in a different form. Again, I want you to see, the husband and the wife, this is a picture of Christ and the church. Okay? We're going to see that in Ephesians here in just a second. The Bible says that God um, could, uh, he brought a suitable helper for Adam. The King James word is help meet, which is completely useless today. Okay? Maybe that was like something powerful back in 1611 when the King James Bible was written. Today, to call your wife a help meet is not like really, it's not really the powerful word behind it. And, or even suitable helpers, kind of like, God brought Adam a maid to help around the garden. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like in that translation. That's not the idea, women. So before you, like, rise up and are like, oh, no, you didn't. Okay, we're not, we're not going there. No snappy Zs at me, all right? Here's where the word help, okay? It, um, there's an English scholar that did a great study on this. He said it could be translated power, strength, or rescue, so remember that passage in Psalm 121, it says, where does my help come from? Same Hebrew word as the wife becoming a help. My help comes from the Lord. Okay? It's, it's the exact same word. The word describing a wife of a man, it's a profound picture of the assignment and the privilege that a man and a woman have of ministering together and representing what God is like here on the earth. <clears throat> remember, everything we're talking about here is a picture of Christ in the church, Okay? So that's the word help. Uh, it can mean power, strength, or rescue. The word meat or mate, that gets trans, M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T, like she's a piece of meat. Like, like that's, that's not the picture. So just, that's a homonym. Well, actually, that's a, that's a different one. Anyway, so um, here's, the, here's the translation of that second word. It means to face or to be opposite of. So get this picture. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a power facing him. I will make a strength opposite to him. I will make him a rescue that looks him in the face and supplies everything that he's lacking. I know you're thinking, what's God lacking? Okay, we'll get to that here in a second. He's not lacking anything except you. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. The idea is that this person makes you so complete that face-to-face you bring something to the table that the other person has a tremendous need of. A lot of people, um, there's this argument that goes on about the concept of women in ministry. It's just absolutely boggling to me. Where they say, you know, women, uh, they can't be in the same level as ministry as men. That, um, you know, they can teach the kids and they can teach other women, but they can't really teach other men. And da-da-da-da-da. And so, um, so that, that, uh, that theological view would be called a complementarian. And uh, our church would probably be more egalitarian. Meaning equal ministry roles for men and for women. God poured out his spirit on all flesh. Men and women. They prophet. You, know, you get the picture. And here's the thing, too, is if we are going to be the bride of Christ through all eternity and women are disqualified from ministry, that means we're all out, gang. We're all going to be daughter-in-laws for all of eternity, okay? So, equal ministry. I, that, that's, again, not my point, but I just want to, I want you to get the picture of this beautiful partnership between a man and a woman, that together they bring a fullness. All right, so now, now it's about to get good here. You ready? John 19, oh man, I took about my bookmarker here. Okay, you guys ready for this? John uh, 19, I'm gonna, this is just the very next verse I was reading out of. The Jewish leaders did not want the bodies of the victims to remain in the cross through the next day because it was the day of preparation for the very important Sabbath. I want you to get this picture. The, very, the, the Bible records the very hour that Jesus was being crucified. The very hour that he was hanging on the cross, it was the Jewish Passover celebration where the priests were over in the temple crucifying the Passover or slaughtering the Passover lamb. 
You have the ultimate Passover lamb hanging on the cross from noon till three, the Bible records. That's the very hour that the Jewish rabbis were sacrificing the lamb for Passover. But I'm not here to talk about that. I could, that'd be good. So they asked Pilate for permission to have the victim's legs broken to hasten their death and their bodies taken down before sunset. So the soldiers broke the legs of the two men who were nailed there. But when they came to Jesus, they realized that he already died. So they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced Jesus' side, and blood and water gushed out. Just as Eve was taken out of the side of Adam, he birthed his wife out of his side. So Jesus birthed his bride out of the side of his church. Out of his side came the church. Remember, we were in Christ. That in Christ, and now we came out of him to form someone who is just like him, face to face, a strength, someone who's able to represent him in a completely different way. Jesus not only died for his bride, he gave birth to her at his cross. What were his last words? My bride! I want you to get this. Just as Adam couldn't have fellowship with a gorilla, he needed someone just like himself to have fellowship with. God, who is life himself, can only have fellowship with his own kind of life. So he makes us born again, or born from above, or born from the Spirit. And he puts his life on the inside of us. So now that life on the inside of us makes us a completely different kind of person who can have fellowship with God himself. Just as Eve was Adam in another form, the church is Christ in another form. I'm about to say some things that may sound like heresy, but they in the Bible. Just as Christ can only have fellowship with someone just like himself, so we need the Spirit of God working within us to make us into the kind of person just like God. See, when the church... So here... There's women's lib in the church and the spiritual realm. Here's women's lib in the physical realm. I don't need a man. I can do it on my own. I don't need anything he has to do. We're free. We're powerful. We're this and that. Okay? When that attitude begins to get in the church, you no longer have a church. You know what? We'll just, we'll just do services in our own human wisdom, and we'll figure this thing out. We'll get the best business strategies, and we'll do this and that. And we'll, we'll ask God to bless it every once in a while, but we don't, we don't really need God. We've got our own best strategies. You know, we're going to go, and we'll do this outreach. Okay? That doesn't work. That's like a gorilla trying to have fellowship with a human. It, it's, it's a completely different level. It's not spirit to spirit. It's flesh to spirit. And God doesn't have fellowship with flesh. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you're the light of the world. Where did I get my light from? I, I got it from him. You have to see. He's making me of the same nature as himself. Guys, God's plan is to fill this earth with a bunch of lookalikes of his son. That's your destiny, is you are going to look, feel, act, and breathe like Jesus. That's the person he's making you into. So um, I've used this, these two illustrations before, but I just love them. So imagine I had a, uh, a cup of hot water here and a tea bag. And as I take that tea bag and put it in the hot water. We call it steeping. It's interesting, in England they call it infusion. So what happens is the leaves don't become the water, the water doesn't become the leaves, but the strength of the leaves gets infused into the water, so it's no longer called colorless, tasteless water. It's now called tea. 
There's a passage in uh, Philippians where uh, Paul says this. It's no longer I who is living. It's Christ expressing his life through me. Or one translation says, Christ who has infused his life into mine. I don't become Jesus. Jesus doesn't become me. But somehow the two of us have come together uh, so one that it's hard to tell one from the other at times. And his strength is flowing into my life. And as I'm depending on him, loving him, enjoying him, spirit to spirit, I am someone who can come face to face with him, bring a strength to the table, and represent him clearly what's lacking in this world. That's who you are. That's not who you're trying to be. This is who you now are. And God is, it's like an army has invaded your spirit and it's working its way into every single part. What you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Another illustration, which I've only used once, and for obvious reasons here, I almost chopped off my finger. But um, I brought this sword up on stage, and um, some of you remember that. And uh, the, the person who handed me the sword said, hey, whatever you do, don't cut off your finger, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, yeah, yeah duh. And so um, I get up here, and as I'm telling the story of the illustration, I uh, began to, you know how you like go like, you know, perpendicular to the, the, the blade to see how sharp it is? I'm like, hmm, this doesn't really feel that sharp. And this is going on in my head as I'm doing this illustration, which I'm about to tell you. And I thought, I don't know why I did this. I went, I just thought, oh, I just kind of slid it the other way, like parallel with it, and it just cut deep into my finger, and I'm like bleeding, and like zyners are running up, like trying to stop the blood, like find the femoral artery. I mean, it was just terrible. It was just ridiculous, okay? But pretend I have a sword. Pretend there's a, yeah, they won't even let me near butter knives. It's so embarrassing. The staff's like, no, take it away. We'll butter it for you. It's, it's humiliating. It's actually humiliating. It's ridiculous. The sword, we'll say it's made out of steel. I could plunge the uh, sword into the fire. The sword doesn't become the fire. The fire doesn't become the sword. But the fire so interpenetrates the molecules of the sword that the sword is now able to do things that normal swords couldn't do. I could take that sword interpenetrated with this flame, and I could touch it to paper, and it would catch on fire. You and I have been so interpenetrated by the Spirit of God that we can now do things that normal human beings can't do. We can actually lay our hands on things, and they catch on fire. People get filled with the Spirit. People get healed. We begin to get revelation from heaven's perspective and be able to speak things out. The Bible calls prophecy, and it actually causes those things to happen in that person's life when they agree with them in faith. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, picks up on this, uh, on this idea. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's talking about this marriage. He's actually quoting Genesis, the passage that we read. But he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Whatever you're realizing about marriage here, these truths in the Bible, he's saying this is just a parallel, it's a microcosm, it's a type and shadow of the way that Jesus wants to behave with his bride. The Lord has created the church to stand before Jesus, the bridegroom, fully equipped face-to-face to bring what is necessary to see his will fulfilled on the earth. We're someone just like him. You're like, I don't feel like him. Well, that's who you are in the spirit. That army has invaded, and it's beginning to work its way out into your mind, will, and emotions in your body. Out of intimacy with God, we've been given the assignment to represent him on earth. You're being fully trained to stand before this king of glory as the wife, as a power facing him, as a rescue that looks just like him in his face. I mean, it's awkward to talk about God needing anything. 
you know, because, it, you know, part of the bride is that she comes to the groom and she fulfills what's lacking. And so, um, theologically, God needs nothing, but without you saying yes, he's lacking you. God chose you and me to carry out a purpose on earth. And here's the thing. It's not like we're just imitating him. Like we're all going to do the same thing. We're all talking the same way. We're all dressing the same way. We're like Jesus. It's not like that. There's a unique aspect of you in which no one can represent that aspect of Christ in the way that you do throughout all of history. There's something so unique in you that when you come alive, when you surrender to him, you actually become the most you you can be. Like, hold on, that doesn't make sense. I'm surrendering to somebody else, and that sounds like bondage. Yeah, but in the kingdom, everything's upside down. The first will be last. The least will be greatest. Those who are surrendered are the most free. And so what this world is waiting to see is Christ fully alive in you because it's going to most clearly express Jesus, but somehow it most clearly expresses you because you're a lookalike of him. I know, it's weird. I don't know how it works. We can be that help meet, that suitable helper that fills up what's lacking on this earth. And here's what's lacking on this earth is a revelation of him. Yeah. Gang, this world isn't going to know what Jesus is like through any... It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ on the inside of you is the hope of this world seeing the manifestation of Jesus, what he's like. The unveiling of Jesus is happening through his church. It's not going to happen like through some movie. You're like, oh, that's what he's like. No, no, no. It's going to happen through his people, his bride, standing face to face with him, filling up what is lacking on this earth, a revelation of what he's like. But the Bible uses some different pictures. I'm, I'm actually almost done. I only have one more page. Easter miracles again. <laughs> the Bible uses some pictures, and they kind of all point to the same thing. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branch. Sometimes it's hard to tell where the vine begins and the branch ends, but here's the point. It's the same life that's flowing through the vine is now flowing through the branch and causes it to produce impossible fruit unless it was connected to the vine. He says, I, Jesus says, I'm the head and you're the body. Okay? The body, like, doesn't function without the head. Like, it's not like running, you know, it doesn't run around and, and do, like, a whole bunch of things. You get it? The church and the body, we're in union. We're expressing each other. The body expresses what the head is thinking. Like, I'm thinking this right now. My body just did it. Did you see how that worked? Jesus has these things, and we are the expression of him on earth. Jesus is coming back for a body that's in proportion to its head. It's not going to have this amazing, giant Jesus head with this anorexic body of Christ. He says he's actually coming out for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Somehow we're all going to get a facelift. I don't know how it works. Some spiritual Botox is going to happen. I don't know. He told believers, he said, do not be unequally yoked in your relationships. Okay? The father is not going to violate this with his son and have his son unequally yoked with some anemic bride. He's turning us into someone just like himself. Just as... Eve was birthed out of the side of Adam, and he said, I see someone just like me. She's a power facing me. Face to face, she brings a rescue and brings something to the table that I'm lacking. In the same way, Jesus, he birthed the church out of his side on the cross, out flew the blood, which was for the redemption, and water was life. Every birth that you've ever been to, there's water and blood that flows. I'm not going to get any more graphic than that. You're welcome. 
And there was a birthing on the cross where the water and the blood flowed. And he birthed a people who would look just like him, who would be face to face with him, who would bring a strength and a rescue and fill up what is lacking on the earth, a revelation of him. So let me translate it for you like this way. It's not good for man to be alone. So I will make for him a power facing him. I will make a strength opposite him. I will make him a rescue that looks him in the face. This bride will fill up what is lacking on earth, a full revelation of the bridegroom. Let me read you the verse we started with. When Jesus had sipped the sour wine, he said, It is finished, my bride. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. When Jesus gave himself on the cross, he was thinking of you. What he started with, a man looking for a bride. Right at the cross, we have a bridegroom looking for a bride. And at the end of history, the Lamb of God, the bridegroom, will find his bride and they will live happily ever after. He was looking to the time when you would take him as a seal upon your heart. For him, the cross and the grave was not some cruel experience. It said it actually was a joy that was set before him because he saw the day when the bride would come to the bridegroom face to face. The very last word of your king as he died for you was a sigh for his bride. That's who you are, gang. We, as the people of God, are the bride of Christ. I just want you to get those pictures of him hanging on the cross thinking about you. So here's what I want to do. I want to take communion today. And so uh, you.